your vision. We thank you for what we've been chasing after, and that's just your vision, God. We want to continue to put our trust in you when it comes to who we are becoming, when it comes to who you're uh, creating us to be and taking hold of, God, that vision for our lives. We just pray, God, that it would be your vision for our lives. We pray that you would continue to unfold your vision for our families, God. We want our families to be all that you intend that they be and desire for them to be. We pray, God, that you would unravel that story uh, for our family. And God, today we want to just pray that you would help us envision the kind of church that you are raising up uh, in this time, in this generation. We just ask, God, that we could be the church, the people that you have called us up to be. And uh, we want your desires to be our realities in the next 10 years. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, hey, it's good to be back with you guys this morning and uh, continuing in our 2020 vision series and really uh, just trusting that God would lay out the path forward as we lean not on our understanding, but in all of our ways we acknowledge Him. And that's really been uh, the heart cry for us as a church um, heading into this next decade, decade number two as a church. And and what we really hope that uh, that would look like for us. But even beyond that, what does God hope that that would look like uh, for us? And so now we're going to dive into that just a little bit. But just as a little mental warm-up here for you guys, uh, just a little interactive opportunity for you with somebody next to you. Uh, I'm going to just show a picture on a screen uh, that represents a brand or an entity. And I just this is the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, all of our answers will probably be a bit different. Uh, but just what's the first thing? that This could be dangerous for some of you to say the first word that comes into your head, but we'll just see what happens here. All right, so here's the first one. Is the first word that pops into your head. Share it with somebody around you. Shopping maybe is the word, you know. For me, it's two-day shipping. Uh, if I think of something, I'm like, oh, I could get that, and it's on my porch in two days. So that's uh, Amazon for me, um, Amazon Prime. What about this one here? Yeah, that was a very definitive yum that I heard. Salty. Uh, somebody said French fries, uh, first hour. Um, what comes to mind for me is sausage McMuffins, because I don't know if you knew this, but they have two for $2. Two for just a, I feel like I'm stealing from McDonald's when I go and get two of those sausage McMuffins for $2. My kids absolutely love them, so uh, I hate to admit it, but we have go for sausage McMuffins a couple times a week. My kids are always like, can we get sausage McMuffins? So that's what McDonald's is known for to my kids is sausage McMuffins. Uh, what about this one? First thing that pops into your head. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, oil spill, somebody said. Um, and that's honestly still to this day, that's what pops into my head, right? And I'm not, I haven't boycotted BP or anything like that. I just, uh, but that's what pops into my head. Some of you said gasoline, uh, British Petroleum, whatever it might be. But some of you, the first thing that pops into your head is oil spill. Uh, what about this? What comes to mind? <laughs> You guys have strong opinions about this one, apparently. <laughs> Swedish meatballs. We're all in the food. We're ready for lunch. Let's go. Uh, some of you, somebody said, my house. My house is all Ikea. Uh, I just, my thought was assembly required, if I could have two words. And that is true. Um, it looks really nice when it's all put together if you don't skip a step and get it exactly right, just as that tiny little picture should, you know, I love Ikea. It's fine. Um, my wife loves Ikea. I love assembling it. Um, 
What about this one? What comes to mind? Did anybody just get warm inside? You know, like, I don't know. Uh, some, some of you might have said, kids might have said happy place. Parents might have said money trap. You know, you can drop some money at Disney in a hurry. Uh, maybe there's a particular Disney movie that comes to mind for you. Uh, Disney Plus, now they're streaming, so uh, we watch a lot of Disney Plus at our house. All right, what about this last one? Not a lot of positive vibes from you guys on the last one. Maybe you don't know about this, maybe this was uh, ahead of your era, but um, the thing, you, you still, when you see this brand, you remember, right, this scandal, and it's hard not to uh, remember this scandal. Um, and on this last one, I'm not going to show you a picture. I just want you to think about a word. And I just want, when you think about this word, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What is, how is this word known for you? And you don't have to say it out loud. I just want you to think to yourself, when I say the word church, what's the word that comes to mind for you? And I think that it depends on who you ask, right? And it maybe depends on uh, different times in your life. Uh, but maybe you've had a different experience. Maybe for you, in some ways, there is some baggage attached to that word. Maybe for some of you that you associate this word at a time in your life when uh, you were hurt or burned or exiled in some way. Um, maybe uh, for some of you, you feel like growing up or um, you're in a stage where you feel like it's out of touch. Or, you know, there's a lot of words that maybe come to mind. Or maybe for some of you, you just have good memories of church. And uh, you think of uh, moments of family and relationship. You think of uh, being challenged and raised up uh, to a new level. Um, that word can vary, though. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that a pertinent question and really an important question that we should be asking and really the way I've framed this message coming around 2020 vision for the church is the question, what do we hope to be known for as a church? What do we want the church to be known for? What do we want Axis Church to be known for? And more importantly that, what does God want us to be known for? What kind of reputation does God want us to have, not just in this place, but beyond this place? And so it's an important question to think about. What will our reputation be in the next decade? Benjamin Franklin once said, It takes many good deeds to build a good reputation, and only one bad one to ruin it. And so it's important that we think about what kind of reputation are we building? What kind of, uh, what kind of, what, what will we be known for? Jesus understood this when he challenged his disciples in a private conversation. There was some public teaching that was happening, and often what would happen is Jesus would have these public uh, gatherings, and then he would sidebar with his disciples. They would go up to a private place often, and he would give us some additional insight and, and really lean into them in a different kind of a way. And so at one moment, he, he after, uh, during kind of a sermon of the, of the Mount talk that he was giving, he stepped aside, he pulled the disciples in close, and he had this heart-to-heart -heart with them. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Then he gives this illustration, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand so that it gives light to everything in the house. In the same way, then, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The illustration of salt losing its saltiness, losing its relevance, losing its ground. The illustration of 
standing out, shining bright. All of these things are things that God is calling us to. And so the question is important. What will our reputation be? What kind of taste will we leave in people's mouths? What will we be known for? Because there's something bigger riding on this than just our individual reputations. As Jesus puts it, that they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. More important than our reputation or even the reputation of an individual church or even the individual church of Axis Church, God's glory is at stake here. What kind of reputation are we leaving? What kind of taste are we leaving in people's mouths? We want, a light, we want to be a light that we might shine and God might be glorified. We were made to shine. We were made to stand out. You know, the church was never meant to be seen as an institution, although in many ways we associate the word church in some institutional kind of a way. Um, it was never meant to be seen as a building or an institution. In fact, the word ekklesia, which is a, a Greek word in the New Testament, uh, is really referred to referring to the called out ones. I love that picture of being a body of people that is called out, called out to something greater, called out to something distinct, called out to something unique. It wasn't just a place, it was a people that were called out for God's purpose. And so what I want to do this morning is cast a vision for you of the ways that God is really calling us out as a group of people in the decade ahead and beyond. And so in what ways are we called out as a group of people to shine bright? The first thing I want to talk a little bit about is that we are called out to pray. We are called out to pray. Now, I know, okay, obviously, right? We're obviously called out to pray. But, but hear those words. We are called out to pray, to actually step into prayer in a way that is distinct, in a way that is uniquely powerful. We are called out to not just say, be like, well, hey, we're praying for you, right? We use it, we use this word a lot, but are we actually living out a life of prayer. I have a desire for God to continue to raise the spiritual temperature in this place. That's one of my prayers. And I know, honestly, just in reflecting, like, it starts with me. If we're going to be a people called out to pray, it starts with me, it starts with Stephen, it starts with the leaders around here. It starts with all of us grabbing hold of this and saying, you know, we believe that we want to be a people that is known for prayer. They were known as a group of people that walk with God. It's just evident that those people walk with God. I have been just really, God's been pressing into me on this one. And uh, I'm kind of, you know this about me, I'm a little ADD, so prayer is difficult for me because I could be praying one minute and the next minute I'm like, you know, planning out my week or the next minute I'm doing whatever. And so I'm trying to be more disciplined in this area. And I, I really, I really feel like God's pressing into me on this one is like, Rather than just striving harder, what if I took that energy and pressed it more into prayer and allowed God to work in greater ways? Because my default is strive harder, try harder. And so God's really been pressing into me. I listened to this podcast not too long ago about prayer, and it was uh, some of the leading uh, leaders of this time uh, for God, and they were talking about uh, how in every major movement in history where God was really at work or something significant happened, the other thing that was significant that was happening is that a people were coming together in prayer, that they were elevating this value of prayer, and out of that, movements broke out. And I'm compelled by this idea, but I'm compelled by what does it look like 
for a group of people to really walk God, which is evidenced by a passion for prayer. And so one of the things one of the guys mentioned is this concept of walking the land, that they encourage their people to go and walk the land. And what he means by that is go walk this, walk this community, walk these spaces, walk through your home, walk around and just pray to God, walk the land, just blanket these places in prayer. And they've seen significant things happen as they've done that. Another group had started a, uh, just put a, put a prayer room in their church, and they said, we want people to fill this place as much as possible. We would love to get to the place where at some point, 24-7, there was somebody in this place praying uh, because we want to see a move of God in our time. And I don't know all of what that looks like specifically for us, but I want to raise the bar when it comes to prayer and what that could be. For us, I'm going to tell you a little bit specifically about what that looks like. But when I think about this idea of walking with God, what occurred to me was this moment in history when Jesus had resurrected from the dead, which is incredible, it's significant, it's transformative. And so, but there was a lot of, when that had happened, like disciples were sort of running around crazy, like, what, what's going on? Where's your, and at one point in time, the resurrected Jesus was just walking around. Like in bodily form, he's walking around, a man raised from the dead. And he was walking with a group of disciples at one point, and they didn't even realize what was— because they weren't thinking like, no, the risen Jesus is here. They were getting raised like, hey, the, the stick's up. Like, he's, he's gone. And so—but they were walking along the road, and they were talking. And uh, they didn't realize it, but they were walking— physically and literally with Jesus down the road. And he was talking to them about the scriptures, and they were just having this exchange. And then uh, finally, they sit down to dinner, and they realize, wait a minute, their eyes were open to who it was. And it says in Luke 24, 30 through 32, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Because why? Well, because he can, you know? And uh, he disappeared from their sight. And then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we t while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? What would it look like for a group of people to walk in a literal sense with God in such a way that their hearts just burned within them? Th this passion and conviction started to rise up within us what would that look like for us spiritually if we did that and so i told Stephen the other day i said hey i want you to keep me accountable on something and uh he then this is how he keeps me accountable he shares it with our whole staff he's like hey josh wanted me to keep him accountable on this so you guys can too and so i'll just go ahead and share it with you before he does but i told him i said you know i just feel like if i want this decade to be marked by something for me i want it to be marked by prayer by walking with god and then whatever the outcome be, like, I just trust God with that, but I want to walk with him. And uh, so I shared this, and he shared it with us. They said, tell him about that specific goal that you have. And I said, well, I want to actually walk with God. And so uh, I'm going to do 10 miles a week is going to be my goal. I'd love to do 10 to 15 miles a week where I'm just out walking with God. Like, I'm talking to him along the way. And uh, people at the park might think I'm crazy, but, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk and talk with God and pray. And uh, a third of that time I want to spend just praying uh, just interacting with God on a personal level because I feel like he wants that with us. He wants that for us. 
third of that time I want to spend praying for our church and praying for the people here. And so I say that to say if there's specific things you want prayer for, uh, I've got some mileage to put in. i got, you know, some time to put in to pray, and I would love to be privileged to pray for you if there's specific things I can pray for you for. Um, and then a third of that time I want to continue to just pray that God would do something, that he would move in our community in a significant way in our time, and that uh, that more and more people would come to know him. And so um, that's that's my goal, and I share that because I would like accountability. I share that also because I would like company. I, and I don't just mean you can come walk with me if you want, but I mean actually I would love to see more and more people within this place that are just, just have this heart to, for prayer. And, and maybe walking is your thing. You're like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit some time to walking. What would it look like if we walked our neighborhoods, like we blanketed our neighborhoods with prayer for our neighbors? I, mean, I don't know what could happen. I'm just, I'm just casting a vision for you of what it could look like. What would it look like? What would it look like with some of you guys that are cleaning the church around here that you just covered this place in prayer as you're cleaning things off? Like, God, just pour out your spirit on this place. We want this place to be filled with you. What would it look like if we did that? What would it look like? And one of the things I want to do here coming up, and uh, Steve and I have talked about, is creating this corner in the back of the room just says, we don't have a prayer closet, but we're going to have a prayer corner. And so both in times of worship here, if you want to go back and just spend some time in prayer, have some chalkboards, or you can just write out things to pray for. And then maybe you write something on a chalkboard that somebody later in the week comes in and prays over that. Like, what would it look like if we were just a people that were cultivating this rhythm of prayer? It could be very, very powerful. No doubt about it, we would grow closer to God over the decade, and I want to encourage you to do that. And so over time, what we're going to do, and, and it doesn't have to be finished yet for you to start doing that, anytime the collar doors are open, feel free to come in and sit in that corner and just pray. Just pray. I want to invite you all to continue to do that more and more. Um, one of the things that they say, you know, about goals is they should be smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. You know, you ever heard that? Um, so I'm trying to do that specifically, measurably, attainably. So 10 miles a week I'm trying to do. And Stephen's like, hey, that'd be 500 miles uh, by the end of the year. I'm like, that'd be kind of cool to have walked with God for 500 miles at the end of the year. And how many miles could that be for you? And maybe you're like, hey, I really, truthfully, I don't want to walk. I'm not, walking's not my thing. Here, I have good news for you. Jesus tells his disciples, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It doesn't have to be walking. What activity do you like to do? What thing do you like? You're like, I like to drink coffee. Like, that's my thing. I will I'll crush some coffee. What if your coffee time became coffee with Jesus? Like, I, you're just going to have a coffee meeting with Jesus every single morning, and you're going to continue to raise up prayer to him and spend time with him. Maybe your drive time is your time. Like, every, I'm going to drive. You know, you're going to move a lot faster than me walking. You're like, I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to cover more ground than you, Josh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, uh, I'm going to see, you know, uh, 1,000 miles to every one of your 500 miles, you know. Um, so maybe driving with God. Maybe you like to knit. I don't know. It just popped into my head. Maybe you like to knit. You could knit with God. Uh, you know, I don't know if God's into knitting, but if you're into knitting, you could spend time. He's into talking with you, so you could do that. Whatever we're doing, what if prayer continued to take on more and more of our life rhythm? I'm going to share a story with you. 
uh, about when I was a college student. And truthfully, I was really struggling as a college student to figure out what my purpose was. And it might have been that I was fighting with God on that. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was a struggle nonetheless. And I had confided in my mom on that. I told her, I said, Mom, I'm just, this is, I just want to share this with you. And, and my mom, she broke confidentiality. And she went to directly to the, uh, the, the church staff that I'd grown up to at the time. And uh, she went in, well, literally, and I just found out this the other day, she, I thought she just maybe emailed them or something. She walked into their staff meeting. Like when they were meeting in staff meeting, she's like, hey, my son's really struggling with his purpose. Could you guys pray for him? Now, that same week that they prayed for me was a week that I was spent with a camp trip. And uh, I just remember waking up in the middle of the night and just having this overwhelming sense of God's direction in my life. And I just knew, like, it's, it's not finance. Uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's ministry. I don't know what that looks like. And so it was just overwhelming to me uh, that at least, you know, here and now, like, this is what God was calling me to. Now, the young pastor of my home church, he didn't know anything about me. Uh, because he had just recently come on since I had gone away to college, and so we didn't know each other at all. Um, uh, another note, I was, whenever I would come home from school, my dad was on the security team, so he would, uh, lock, he would be in charge of, like, locking the doors. He loved when I came home from college because he's like, guess who's locking the doors tonight, you know, on a Sunday night. So I'd go around on a Sunday night was his duty, and I'd go lock all the doors. I'd check all the doors. And I was like, well, I'm in here. I might as well just pray around this place. And so I'd walk around praying. I'd step out onto that stage, and I'd pray, and I'd pray for the leadership. I'd pray for this young leader that I really didn't know a whole lot about at that time, that God would do great things uh, through his life and through his leadership. Now, what I didn't realize at the time was that several years down the road that that leader would become my mentor and one of my greatest friends, and we'd plant a church together. I had no idea. And even thinking back to that, it's sort of like moving to me to, like, Steve and I were talking about that in an office, and I was like, kind of, don't tell anyone. I was getting a little tearful as we were talking about it. But I was like, man, like, just how powerful is God to, like, work in ways that, like, we never could imagine. And how he would link us up through that. And, um, but... God has a funny way of showing up and unraveling his plan when we pray. And so I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Let's be a people who walk with God. Let's be a people who can just see displays of, of all that he's doing because of our effort to lean in close to him. And I, I just, I gave you some examples, but I want to just encourage you, just even if you're just walking around, just, just pray through this place as you're here. Uh, pray through your neighborhoods. Pray for your friends. What if you walk the halls of your school with spiritual fervor in such a way that you're like, no, I'm here with purpose. I'm going to pray for these people that I'm passing. What if when you're sitting back here, like, for coffee, you know, with unknowingly, you're just praying for people that you see walk through those. Like, I, God, I don't know their story completely, but I just want to, I want to pray for them, God. Would you do, and, you know, you're just in quiet moments in, in your own time just praying. Maybe you sit up there on the loft where you got great visibility over everybody, and you're just like, I just want to pray for all these people right now. I mean, what would that look like if we were the people who prayed, we were the people who walked with God? And that's what we became known for, is those Axis people, they just love to pray. They have a passion for prayer. And they won't just say thoughts and prayers. They'll put an arm around you right th then and there, and they'll be like, let's pray. Let's go to God right now uh, for this thing or this. They'll show up to, to, to surgery when you're about to have surgery, and they'll just be there praying for you, right? What if we were all that, that people that just love to pray in that kind of way. And so I'm just calling us into the next, the next 10 years, 20 years beyond that. What would it look like if we continue to step more and more into this rhythm of prayer? The second thing I want to raise up for us is that I believe that we are called out to grow. 
we were actually called out to continue to excel towards greater levels of maturity, not because of our power, but because of his power that is at work in us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That was Peter's prayer. Come on, people. God wants us to grow. That's what Peter is saying. He wants us to continue. He doesn't want us to be bound by the things of our past. He wants us to continue to step into greater levels of maturity. Does that mean we're going to be perfect people? Absolutely not. We know that. But we're going to continue to pursue him to see greater maturity play out. One of the things that's very evident about the apostles, now they were sort of, they weren't sort of, they were very fearful when they thought Jesus was dead and it was over. They were hiding out. They're like, we're not going anywhere because we're going to be next. So they were terrified. They were ready to go back to their, there's some of them going back to fishing, going back to their everyday lives, doing their thing. But the resurrected Jesus stepped into that moment in time and just this momentum just carried into the early church and really gave way to this movement that you and I are still a part of today. And so um, something powerful was happening. Now, these fearful guys were very, very bold and courageous as we read about them in the book of Acts. It was night and day. And they were, even so much, they were standing up against the religious elite, which was a powerful entity in their time. And the religious elite was trying to shut them down. And like, we can't help but speak in the name of Jesus. You can do whatever you want to us, but we're not going to speak, in it. we're not going to stop to speak in his name. You might say, don't mention him anymore, but we cannot help but talk about what we have seen and heard. And so they're courageous, and they're stepping out with greater courage. And the response of the religious leaders was this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the thing that they noted about them. This courage is so uncommon. Oh, remember, they had been with Jesus. The courage was so palatable. The people were so astonished, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. And the closer that we walk with Jesus, the more we commit to walking with Jesus, the more his DNA has a way of embedding itself within us, the more his qualities and characteristics take over our life which is why sometimes we feel this struggle for control of our life. I don't want to fully let go, but when we allow God to be at work in us, it's a powerful thing, and his life takes over our life. I love that one of the earliest references to Christianity was just simply the way. They were referred to as the way. Because it was more than just a set of mandates. It was more than just some rules to follow, which sometimes we equate our relationship with God with, right? It was more than just a new belief system. Like, hey, let's, let's take on that set of beliefs. No, it was more than that. It was an entirely new way of life. It was the way of Jesus. So disciples took on this new way of life. They took on the ways of Jesus. So the question is, are we stepping into maturity as disciples of Christ? Are we, are we, are we just consistent, consistently not content about where we're at that we could grow more and more and more deeply in relationship with him? As Jim Putnam puts it, he says this, he defines a disciple this way. A disciple is those who choose to follow Jesus, those who are changed by Jesus, and those who are on mission with Jesus. Now we're caught in a moment right now where cultural Christianity is on the rise. And we see evidence of a claim to follow Jesus, but are we truly being changed by Jesus? Are we on mission with Jesus? Those are important parts of that definition. 
Are we being changed? Are we being growing to greater levels of maturity? Exponentialanddiscipleship.org, they recently did a study, and what they found was that only 5% of churches, 5% of churches in America are effective at building disciples the way that Jesus did. And the truth is, it's happening all around the world, but it's stalling out in America. And I tell you that because I say we want to be part of that 5%. We want to see disciples actually being made that are making disciples of others. And you know, it's more than just providing platforms for information. It's more than just about teaching or worship. It's more than about just a Sunday morning. It's more than just providing platforms for information. It's about creating processes for transformation, creating a structure that allows for transformation. That's why community group and core group structure is so integral to all we do here. We know that we can't raise the maturity just one day a week. It's not going to happen. We need to, to gather together the way they did in the early church where they met house to house and they leaned in and they kept each other accountable and they encouraged one another to be all that Jesus created them to be. And so we want a culture around here that helps people grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I was eating lunch with a guy this past week and uh, uh, a young guy from our church, young leader from our church, and um, he was just sharing with me. He said, you know, he's like, you know why I go to Axis, don't you? I was hoping he'd be like, because the teaching is bomb or something like that, you know, like the worship is. He didn't share any of those things, you know. What he said was, I, I love Axis because I love to be pushed. I love that somebody's raising the bar for me. Somebody is believing that I could become all that God wanted me to become, and it's changing the way that I am at home. It's changing the way that I am at work, and I'm really seeing it, it take shape in my life. And I've had plenty of conversations like that. In fact, I'm just so proud of being part of a church where I feel like this really is people's desire. It's not to stay right where I'm at, but continue to excel and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So I feel like there's just a group of people, a remnant of people, that's just begging for someone to raise the spiritual bar. And I want us to do our job around here to continue to raise that bar that we could step into all that God wants for us. So we are people that's called out to grow. We are people that's called out to lead. Luke 10, 1 through 2, Jesus, uh, as he's sending out a group of disciples, he tells them this. He says, Later the master selected 70 and sent them out ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he intended to go. And then he gave them this charge. What a huge harvest! And how few the harvest hands. So on your knees, ask the God of the harvest to send out harvest hands. Go pray that prayer, he's saying. Pray that God would send out more workers. Because the harvest is large, we need to raise up and develop more harvest hands. And so that's what's important to us around here, too, is that we are building and equipping more and more leaders. We want to see in the years ahead and the decade ahead more and more leaders to be raised up that are effective in making disciples in their own way, in their own context, and that we are sending people out in that way, that we could measure our sending capacity, as one church leader says, more than our seating capacity. How, how, how much of an influence are we making? How much of a difference are we making because we have raised up leaders among us? A re one researcher says that the gospel put three-fourths of the emphasis on training of the twelve. He calculates that from the time Jesus told the twelve that he'd teach them to multiply until the time of Jesus' death, Jesus spent 73% of his time with the twelve. The ratio of time Jesus spent with uh, the few versus time he spent with the masses was almost three to one. 
So there's significance in knowing that Jesus poured the majority of himself into 12 leaders. 73% of these pouring into these 12 leaders. You see, I mean, Jesus could have shouldered it all on his own back. If anybody could have, Jesus could have done it all by himself. But that's not what he modeled for us. What he modeled for us is to raise out leaders and send them out. And that's what he did. And then he told them, listen, you will do even greater things than I have been doing. And so what would it look like if we continued to create a culture that was all about leadership development, disciple-making in a way that those disciples could go then duplicate uh, their life into the life of another disciple, so on and so forth, doing discipleship in the way that Jesus did discipleship. So if leadership development occupied the majority of Jesus' time and effort, we figure it should occupy the majority of our time and effort and resources as well. Instead of pouring everything into building programs, we want to, sorry, into building programs, we want to pour more and more into building people. It's about raising up people, right? We could spend a lot of time and resource on other things, but our heart is to continue to invest in people over program. Uh, Leadership production, we know and we've seen, it generates kingdom multiplication, and we want it to continue to do that as God sends out more harvest hands, and so that's our prayer. Um, A year ago, a couple years ago now, um, God really had challenged us on this, Jess and I, and, and me in specific, I just remember this moment where God was basically like, hey, if there's not leaders, it's because you're not making leaders. And so you got to continue to, to, to pour energy and attention into making leaders. And so uh, we've tried to figure out and flesh out what that looks like, and it takes time. And uh, one of the cool things that has happened out of that is we're now seeing leaders that are making other leaders. One great example of this is Jess had a community group, uh, a core group of ladies that she was meeting with. And out of that, she saw something uh, in Kara. And Kara, she continued just to spend time with her, and they have a great friendship. And then Kara's like, knew that, hey, now it's the time for me to go out and lead something and to step into my leadership. And then Kara, she came to us a couple, uh, last year, I guess, and just was basically like, hey, I hope it's okay, but I've raised up two more leaders. And now our group's going to have two more leaders out there that are leading groups here. And so you see what happens is this has the ability to be exponential as we make leaders that make other leaders. We make disciples that make other disciples. And so that's really the goal. I just want to lay that out in front of you. Um, as a vision, and it's not all fleshed out yet, but it's what we want to continue to see happen. The last thing I would say is that we are called out to lead. We are called out to love. We're called out to love. This past week um, was my birthday, but it's not actually my birthday. My birthday is December 29th, and uh, Jess has started a new tradition uh, recently where, because December 29th is like the last time you want any more cake or sweets or anything like that, because you've like had a whole month of it, and uh, you don't want any more celebration. You're sort of like, okay, it's time for detox, like, you know, and so Jess is like, it's kind of a lame time to celebrate a birthday, so, and, and your birthday kind of gets lost in the shovel, and I'm like, you're not wrong, you know, but um, I'm not complaining, and uh, so she's like, I want to start a new tradition for you, so last year, she's like, you're just going to come home one day in January, and it's going to be your birthday, and uh, we're going to celebrate your birthday, and it's going to be awesome, and you won't know when it's going to be or what that's going to be like, and so I, I, I tend to forget. I'm like, oh yeah, my birthday is in January now, and uh, so I just I get home one day, and I walk in, and everybody's like, happy birthday, Dad, and there's cards, and there's banners hanging up, and it's like the coolest thing, and like, I'm like, yay, it's my birthday, you know, I feel like a kid again, and uh, it's super, super exciting, and um, 
we, we had cake, and it was, it, was, it was really a good time. My favorite moment, though, was, and I, I was like, did the kids know about this? Because surely if the kids knew about it, like, they would have told me. She's like, believe it or not, the kids have known about this since Monday. And they even knew what present we got you. And, uh, like, as she brings that up, and she's like, they haven't, I'm surprised that they haven't bursted it out. Like, they're, they, they've, like, been so excited to tell you. And in that moment, as she said that, like, before I get a chance to open my present, Eli just goes, chainsaw. <laughs> like, he couldn't contain it any longer. Like, how did he not? Chainsaw. I'm like, what? You guys got me a chainsaw? Like, they get me. You know, I love you guys. But it feels good to be loved, right? Especially in such a way where people around you just can't help but just bless you because they just, you know, they're just so excited to bless you that they can't hardly contain it. And I want to give you that picture for the way we want to to live as a church and the way we want to carry ourselves as a church, that we are compelled by, we are called out to love, that we are compelled by love, as the Bible tells us. When you are loved, when you love someone, you're compelled to bless them, to do what's best for them. There's no greater feeling than to be on the receiving end of that. And we want the people around us to be on the receiving end of love. We want a culture of love. Uh, We've been going up to uh, Nancy's house still on every Wednesday. It's our writing uh, day. And she's given us, like, feedback as she's reading through the book. And she's she's actually leading a group of ladies through elementary discipleship. She's making disciples, you know, which I I love. Um, And uh, it's a really cool thing that's happening. But she's up there, and she's giving us feedback. And I'm like, she's giving us tidbits. I'm like, I hope we don't have to rewrite anything, you know, because she's like, it's good stuff. And she's like, hey, I, I had a thought, like, as I was reading through one of the sections. She said, you know, love is not love until it's voluntary, is what she said. Love is not love. Think about that for a second. Love is not love until it's voluntary. I'm like, you're absolutely right. That's a strong thought, right? Because love isn't love until it's actually a choice. Uh, It's it's not love before that. And I had another thought that occurred to me after that, and I'll add to it. Love is not love until it's voluntary. Love is also not love until it's costly, until it actually costs you something, until you're actually willing to give something up for it. Think about somebody right now, just pop into your head that you love, that you care about. You know, right now in my head is this that sweet little baby that God gave me that I don't deserve, that little Jude with a big old smile on his face. And I can tell you right now, as I think about him, every moment I think about him, like I love him, I love him. And there's nothing I wouldn't do for him, right? Because I choose to do it, but it doesn't seem like it's even a choice because I care about him, I love him, I'm compelled to love him. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for him. And that's true of the people that you love, isn't it? And so, when we think about that, when we think about the choices that we make as a church, we want all of those choices to be wrapped around love, that we are compelled to care for people in this community and beyond, in our neighborhoods, in our families, not because we have to, not because it's a project for us to win people to Jesus, but because we just genuinely love people. And we're compelled by God's love for us in such a way that it translates into our love for one another. What would it look like to be a church that is just simply compelled by love? The kind of love that's truly love, which is a voluntary kind of love. The kind of love which is truly love, which is despite even when it's not easy, that it counts the cost and it says yes. So I don't know all of what the next decade will hold for us in this community, but I pray that we would continue to count the cost and say that it's worth it because we care about the people in this community, that we'll do whatever it takes so that they might come to know Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 21, it says, If we are out of our mind, as some might say, it's for God. 
we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That we are compelled by love to carry out his mission of reconciliation, to help people find their way back to God. Because if we love people, we'll do whatever it takes that they might know God. We will always be a people compelled by love to be good news and bring good news every opportunity that we get. And so I just pray and ask and, and hope that all of our efforts individually and collectively at Axis could be summarized in a single word that love. Not because we have to, but because we get to. I came across this story not too long ago. And actually, I heard it in a message uh, that he taught. But Dave Clayton leads a church called Ethos Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And he shares this story, and as he shares it, I won't be able to do it justice, but as he shares this story and this moment that he had with God in some prayer time, uh, it really challenged me, uh, and it, it really it compelled their church uh, in a powerful way. And so he had a, a morning of prayer, and he said that he had woken up early to pray, and this is an excerpt from a book that he had written. He said, I had woken up early to pray, not because I'm super spiritual, but because we have three boys under the age of eight, and the only time in our house is remotely quiet is in the early morning hours. As I was praying for my sons, I sensed the Lord asking me a simple question about my youngest son, Judah. He said, David, if Judah were to go missing, what would you do? And he said, even the thought of that nightmare made me begin to tear up. And I said, Lord, you know what I would do. I would spend every waking hour looking for him until he was home safe and sound. What happened next is hard to explain. He said, I didn't hear an audible voice, but the word of the Lord came so clearly into my heart that it felt as though I heard it with my own ears. I sensed the Lord saying, David, your city is filled with my missing children. I want you to wake up the search and rescue team to join me in looking for them. He said, I didn't know what to do with that. That just seems like such a massive task, so overwhelming. How would we ever, as a, as a little church, carry that out, live that out, and embody that? And then he said he felt the next directive from God was that he should, he felt led by God to raise up an intercessor, a prayer intercessor for every name, neighborhood, and nation represented in their city. And so they're like, we're going to pray for every single person in this city, and I want a person to be praying. We want to continue to raise up intercessors for every name, neighborhood, and nation representing our city. And then he's like, how do I, how in the world will I ever get every name, how will I ever get that information? And he's like, I don't even know where to start. He's just so, like, paralyzed by this thought. And he said a few days later, a woman from his church came to him and said, Dave, I don't know why I'm telling you this. But I just sense the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you that it's possible for you to get a list that contains a name, the names and addresses for every person in our city. I think you should get that list and we should have our church pray for them. And so they've been doing that and there's been great things. It's a, a great movement that's beginning to happen in Nashville, Tennessee. And I just want to give you that visual and I want to ask, I want you to ask you to consider what could happen in Mason, Ohio. With a church of 200 people, what would it, what would it look like in Mason, Ohio, if we walked with God in prayer, 
we mirrored our life after him in such a way that was compelling to the people around us, that we raised up more and more leaders that were equipped to step out and to be active participants in God's kingdom work. And what if we let God's love compel us to chase down every one of his missing children? And Stephen's going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but I just want to lay something on you that a young man uh, from our Project 215 gathering laid on us when he said, you know, I've just been praying that God would give me a burden for people. God, just give me a burden for people. And I love that prayer, and I want to invite you, even as we sing out this last song, that God would give us that burden for people not as projects, but for as who they are, that we would be compelled by love to wake up the rescue team that everyone might know Jesus. So just, let's take a moment to pray for that as we close today, that God would continue to lead us into this next decade as a church. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we have been so overwhelmed by a love that we don't deserve, a love that we can't grasp, a love that we can't fully comprehend or understand why we should be on the receiving end of it. God, I pray that that kind of love would take over us in such a way that it would just compel us to continue to chase down people in your name. And so God, we just ask that you would stir something in this place, that you would do something in us. We pray that we could be that city on a hill that wouldn't be hidden and that we could shine bright for you in our generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.